Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, Chief Commerce Strategy Officer and Publicist, and Scott Wingo, CEO of Get Spiffy and co-founder of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 301 being recorded on Thursday, January 19th. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg. And as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason and Scott Show listeners. Uh, Jason, I was looking uh, in our in my podcast app. I'm an iPhone user, so I was looking in the Apple podcast app. We haven't had a review in six months, so I thought up at the top of the show here, we would ask folks if you enjoy the show, we sure would appreciate a review. Um, if you are in that player, you go into the app, you find our podcast, you scroll down a fair amount because we have so many episodes, uh, about four scrolls, I would estimate. And then right there, you'll see the little five stars. We would love a five-star review or any review that you'd like to leave. Uh, that would be most appreciated. We uh, we do this for the reviews, so we appreciate it. Yeah, I would just add that makes a great New Year's resolution because you can literally accomplish it five minutes after you make it. Yeah, and you'll get a dopamine hit and feel feel better about yourselves, and Jason and I will be very happy. Uh, Jason, today we are going to talk about uh, two of my favorite topics. So number one, you just got back from the NRF Big Show and then we are belated with our predictions and recap for last year's predictions. So we're going to sneak that in here. We're still in January. So I still think we're kind of in the new year, a little, little close here recording on the, the 19th, but I think we're still in that window. Um, so how I was not able to make it at to NRF this year, uh, but you did. And I look forward to hearing what you saw there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, uh, it was a good time. Obviously the, the biggest deficiency was your absence. Of course. Um, but for any newer listeners that haven't been there before, National Retail Federation's a you know, trade organization that represents the retail industry. Um, and, and this is their big event every year. This is a hundred year old show that is always at the Jacobs Javits Center in Manhattan, uh, in mid January, uh, usually in the middle of a blizzard. Um, so, so a bunch of things worked in our favor this year. Uh, during the, the last couple of COVID years, the Javits Center got remodeled. And so, um, the, the main areas where they do keynotes and a lot of the big presentations and content are now like a, a new, very nice facility that's very comfortable. Um, and it was unseasonably nice weather. So it was kind of like thirties and forties and clear. No, no snow, no, no blizzard to have to fly home in. Uh, That's good. Yeah. So that got things uh, kicked off on the right foot. And then to me, the most exciting thing was just the vibrancy. Um, I, I don't think they've published the final attendance number, but I'm pretty confident it's going to be just a smidge north of their 2020 attendance. So um, that, you know, given all the things that went on in the uh, the last couple of years, uh, being uh, positive against your, your last pre-COVID year uh, seems pretty uh, good. Definitely felt like there was a lot of energy. People were really happy to be there. And I was particularly pleased because uh, last year was not a great year. Um, they tried to have the show last year. There was just a, a, a big pandemic spike in New York right before the show. So a lot of exhibitors publicly pulled out. Other exhibitors quietly pulled out and just didn't show. And so, you know, it was kind of this weird thing where they had 
um, you know, a somewhat empty Spartan giant trade show floor where they, you know, they frankly made a bunch of exhibitors still come in spite of the fact that there weren't very many attendees for them to talk to. Uh, several of the keynotes didn't show up and came via Zoom. So it was it was not a good event last year. And I was a little worried that that, uh, you know, people that were forced to participate last year would be resentful and less interested in coming back this year. But but it appears uh, like we're back to normal. Um, so this retail thing is catching on. Yeah. Yeah. It's not going away. Um so a couple of the, the big trends, and we, we won't go into depth in any of these, but, you know, maybe some of these will come up as topics uh, in, in subsequent podcasts. Uh, there, the last couple of shows, there's, there's, there have always been what I'll call digital shelves, like um, electronic fact tags. Everybody knows I always like to talk about uh, video displays on shelf edge, smart shelves that know um, what inventory they have on them. And, uh, they they get incrementally better every year. So there there were a lot more of them this year. They they were all better and cheaper. Uh, for a variety of reasons, I still don't think 2023 is going to be the year that they become super common in the wild. But the the tech is getting better. Um, a related tech that seems like it has a lot of uh, new vendors in the space is what I call in store analytics. So that's using cameras and computer vision to measure shoppers in the store and kind of like Google Analytics for your your store. Uh, again, I, I'm not expecting huge deployments this year, but it's, uh, the, the computer vision technology is just getting more and more amazing. And so the, the insights that these things can get from relatively few cheap cameras keeps getting better. Um, there's a lot of automation at this show. So, you know, there's the usual, um, uh, auto store and perfect pick, which are two of the big, um, automated, uh, warehouse systems, but there are a lot of other, uh, like uh, startup automation things that could bring uh, automated picking to um, store fulfillment or small fulfillment centers um, or uh, like, you know, pick to light systems and gloves, like a lot of um, uh, get more efficient about fulfilling uh, omni-channel order stuff. Uh, so automation was a big theme. Mm-hmm. Um Another thing that got a lot of space and signage at the show was what I'll, I'll broadly call headless commerce. Um, so Shopify made a big announcement right before the show um, that they were releasing a new offering um, called Shopify Commerce Components. And so this is kind of a um, an upmarket headless version of Shopify. Shopify has always been kind of a, a, a monolithic web app uh, that, you know, was a super good fit for very small startup companies. Um, and, you know, some of which have grown to be quite large on the platform. Um, and they've, they've always had a, a second offering called Shopify Plus, which was uh, intended to be more enterprise features. But the plus mostly meant more enterprise sales features, not necessarily a lot more enterprise features in the, in the platform. Um, and so this new offering seems like, like, you know, a pretty uh, evolved set of um, APIs. And uh, um, as uh, uh, we've talked about in a previous episode of the show, like following uh, what they sometimes call the mock principles. Um, so, so they had a big booth that was mostly focused on, on the, uh, this Shopify uh, commerce components. Um, Salesforce has a very similar offering. Uh, they already are kind of more enterprisey. And so they, they were there. And then there's a, a 
I want to call them a startup. They've been around for a while now, so I'm not sure it's fair to call it um, a, a startup, but a, a, a newer, more modern commerce platform um, that's called Commerce Tools. And the, the chief strategy officer uh, uh, from, from, from uh, Commerce Tools, uh, Kelly, has been on, on our show before. Um, but they had a, a huge presence, um, a big booth, and sponsored a bunch of stuff. So there were, uh, between Shopify, Salesforce, and Commerce Tools, um, you, you definitely got a strong headless vibe in this show. And then, uh, for old timers, the trade show floor is divided into three sections. Um, there's an innovation center, which is all new startups. Uh, they, they had, we had a great innovation center this year. It was mostly international companies. So like companies from Israel, companies from France. Um, there were very small startups showing some pretty cool tech. Um, there's the upstairs trade show floor, which is all the kind of, uh, incumbent legacy vendors, the, the Microsoft's, the Oracle's, the NCR's, um, all, all the big players with the really big booths. And then the more digital players that, you know, uh, that might exhibit at Shop Talk or would have exhibited it at, at, uh, shop.org in the past, they're in the downstairs exhibit hall. And it all, this is not true, but it felt like this year, one of the rules that was in place to exhibit at the downstairs exhibit hall is you had to rename your, your URL to end in dot AI. <laughs> because every every single vendor the trend. Yeah. downstairs uh uh was you know um some some execution of ai and some of them were super interesting and i i'm i think we'll talk about this later but i'm very optimistic will be a big part of uh of the commerce ecosystem this year and some of them are you know pretty speculative and far-fetched so <laughs> so um you know a, a good breadth of everything and then I'll sum all that up. That's what the floor looked like. Um, the content, uh, you know, is mostly, um, some, some decent keynotes from, from big, uh, retailers. And the, the problem with keynotes from the CEOs of big retailers is they're not necessarily going to share anything proprietary or new and insightful. Like it's kind of interesting to hear their, their philosophies, but like I, I don't tend to learn a lot that I'm going to use, um, in my, my day to day gig from the, the content sessions at NRF. Um, but what I do love is talking to all the people in the halls and aisles and by far, you know, kind of trying to take everyone's temperature that I could, I could get time with the overwhelming consensus was, um, that this is 2023 is going to be a really uncertain year for retail. Um, that there's a lot of, um, uh, economic challenges, uh, that people are going to be really focused on profitability. And a lot of the retailers talked about how, um, their, their budgets are getting reduced significantly that the focus is really going to be deploying that capital against things that can have a short term, um, benefit to their cost structure and help them get their profitability up. And so I kind of interpret that as, uh, we're going to see a lot more, a lot fewer investments in customer acquisition and front end systems and a lot more investment in back end systems and optimizations. Very cool. Um, I got a million questions on automation. It, you know, kind of the state of art in my mind is still the Kiva system. Is there something out there you think, at least on the, you, you kind of mentioned in-store, but I'm thinking more warehouse side, anything there um, that's kind of. Yeah. So there's kind of two big vendors. Like, so Kiva is Amazon's proprietary system. And to my knowledge, they don't sell it to others yet. Do they? No, but yeah, it's still although, kind of the state of the art. Yeah. 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 They, they, they certainly could at some point. So, so, you know, 
there's kind of two philosophies of these like big fulfillment center automation. Um, go, uh, get, bring the goods to a picker. Um, or, you know, uh, you know, so you actually move aisles, which is what the Kiva system does. It moves bins, um, to a human picker that then pulls them out. So the picker gets to stand still, um, or these full automated systems that like, you know, bring things in on conveyor belts. And so there's, there's two big vendors. Um, there's a store, uh, a vendor called auto store, um, which is, uh, like, a a very dense set of um, uh, bins that are stacked uh, quite high um, and they're, they're shuttled around on conveyor belts. Uh, so it's a 3D delivery system of these these bins. Um, and there's a bunch of big retailers. If you've highly automated your your uh, fulfillment center in the U.S., like you're probably using uh, Auto Store or their competitor, Perfect Pick. And so both of those had full live demos at the show that were, you know, are super mesmerizing to watch because they have all these these bins flying around. But then what there were was a lot of startups that were more Kiva-like. Um, so instead of like a conveyor belt that ends with your exact products, you know, in a bin ready to, to package, um, these are things that are like lifting um, shelves and moving the shelf to a, to a picker. So even in that innovation center, there were several Israeli companies that, you know, were in a tiny little 10 by 10 booth with a little robot that could, you know, lift up a gondola full of products and bring and move it around a warehouse. Very cool. And then from afar, I saw Shopify really hitting the we're headless too um, kind of train, which I thought was interesting because they kind of have you know, just kind of dipped their toe in that water. I read it as they must be hitting some headwinds, maybe at Shopify plus maybe some churn and realized they had to go into that market pretty hard. So I wonder if our friends at Fabric and some of these other places were starting to take some share from them. Yeah, so I don't know if it's as explicit as taking share. I, I think there's this notion, new companies are highly likely to start life on Shopify. And it it's an like, if a family member calls me and says, I want to start a business and sell something online, I'm sending them to Shopify. It's the easiest, safest, best best way to do it. Um, so there's a notion that those companies ought to grow up and, you know, either buy something else or spend a lot more money with Shopify. And so uh, I think a lot of people looked at Shop Shopify Plus and they said, oh, yeah, that's that's for these startup companies to evolve into. And then uh, I think a lot of people are looking at the at these uh, Shopify commerce components in that same way. I actually suspect that's not the case. Uh, the overwhelming majority of startups that start on Shopify are, are going to go out of business, right? Like just the attrition rate is super high. And so most companies aren't getting bigger and need a bigger platform. Um, the, uh, I think what they're trying to do by having a mid, mid tier kind of mid market offering is not so much help their existing customer base to grow. It's to acquire, um, a new customer base. Uh, that, you know, frankly has a little more proven business model and a little more stability to kind of help them with their churn a little bit. Right. And so, um, I, I think that was the intent behind Shopify plus and Shopify plus never got a ton of traction. And they actually had a pretty big staff reduction in Shopify plus earlier last year. Um, so commerce components does feel like a restart. Like they're tackling, I think the right problem this time. Like before they were tackling, the professional services that they thought, you know, an enterprise uh, client would want in order to use Shopify. This time they're, they're, they're tackling the, the, the functionality um, and the flexibility that a, a, a mid market or inter enterprise client might want. So I think this is going to be 
an interesting play. Um, but I, I, I don't think it's so much that big commerce or fabric or commerce tools um, stole customers from Shopify. I think it's more Shopify wants some of those customers in its ecosystem as well. And obviously they, they have a, a lot of resources to go after them. So that's kind of how, how I interpreted it. Hmm. Okay. We'll agree to disagree. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> on the a- <laughs> as we're about to find out from the predictions, I am occasionally wrong. Yeah. <laughs> we all are. This is the, the humbling part of this program is trying to make predictions in, in this current world we live in. Um, AI everything was one of the things, and you have to have a dot AI. Anything that blew your mind? Um, you and I had chatted about, uh, you know, we're starting to see AIs, for example, that'll create product detail pages for you. Any, anything getting some traction, or is it all just bugs yeah. and noise? So, so I, I, so a, I think there's a trend that's super annoying to me. Uh, I'm old and curmudgeonly, as everyone knows, but like. There are a bunch of companies that have decided that AI is cool and then they're just desperately looking for a problem to solve with AI. And so, and sometimes they don't understand the space very well or the problems or the economics of the problem very well. And so there are a bunch of AI companies, um, that I don't find particularly interesting, right? Like there's probably 30 AI companies that are like, we're a personalization engine to do better product recommendations with AI. Um, and, Personalized product recommendations is super important. Um, there are 15 enterprise products that have been using AI for 15 years. And are the, is the AI getting much better? Yes. Um, but like the, you're not necessarily like bringing anything new to the party when you're, uh, you know, a, a small startup in, in that space. Um, so there are, you know, some things I don't get super excited about. Uh, the, AI for inventory management is super interesting. Like these, these models that are doing demand forecasting, uh, that are, are doing kind of, um, uh, you know, most, most retailers kind of have a pretty simplistic model for, for inventory balancing. Like, you know, what, what inventory do I put in what fulfillment center? How much extra inventory do I put in a store for store fulfillment? Things like that. And now, um, they're, they're using AI to make that much more robust. Um, AI promotion engines. So, you know, instead of kind of a one size fits all promotion where, Hey, we're going to do 30% off this product across the whole country. Um, we're, we're going to, you know, throw some business rules to an AI engine that's going to decide like when and where to offer a promotion. Um, and it's going to, you know, factor in a lot more localized factors and personalization factors. And so, you know, you, there might be deeper discounts in, in some stores than other, or some circumstances than others, or even in some day parts than others. So, so I think all of AI to improve these existing business processes is, is super interesting. Um, and then the, the new use cases, uh, I, uh, I'm very convinced that the majority of e-commerce content, the majority of product descriptions we read, attributes we read, are going to be written by AI in the future. Like, uh, it's gotten really good. There's a bunch of benefits to having it read it. Um, I'm a bad, in the old days, Channel Advisor had a bunch of clients they created product content for, and then they syndicated that content to a bunch of different retailers. And one problem was that content was the same at all those retailers. So from an SEO standpoint, it didn't look very unique. And one of the things that AI can do trivially is take your master product content and make 10 variants that are equally human readable, but are unique so that you could syndicate different content to eBay, Amazon, and Walmart, for example, which is, 
um, pretty cool. And as we talked with Matt about last week, you know, Goodwill Finds is using AI to, to onboard all their new SKUs um, uh, pretty efficiently. So I think it's really good for that. And then the last thing I'll say is there's a lot of super interesting stuff around computer vision. So both pulling product attributes out of pictures, um, uh, using the, the security cameras in the store to, to do inventory checks and to do merchandising compliance checks and pricing checks um, and stuff like that. And uh, using that, that inventory to understand customer, using those security cameras to understand customer behavior better, even using uh, computer vision to do better loss prevention, which loss prevention is a, a really big issue at this show. And uh, there's an explosion in organized crime this year. And so that, you know, kind of predicting um, uh, crime events is kind of an interesting thing that AI is doing. So like plugging AI into a camera is yielding, I think, a lot of pretty interesting use cases for retail. Yeah, very cool. Uh, did you get to see some of our favorite folks? I did. I did. I uh, saw a lot of past guests. Um, I think I made a joke on Twitter, um, which we're going to have to do a separate uh, a show about how sad I am about everything that's happening on Twitter. Um, but, uh, the, the most common thing that happens to me now is I have a loud, obnoxious voice that everyone at this trade show can recognize <laughs> from, <laughs> largely from this podcast. And so everyone's super excited and I get tons of compliments. I feel bad that you weren't there because it, it it's kind of, um, uh, it feels nice to have all these people recognize us and, and talk about how we're, you know, an important part of their, uh, their week and help them in their job. So I, I really appreciate that. And I, I want to say hi to everyone. I, I did cross paths with at uh, NRF. It was awesome to meet you. And thanks for, for stopping and saying hello. But then the next word out of their mouth is where is Scott? Because I I'm way more interested in meeting Scott than I was in meeting you. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to say that you're, you're too much of a big deal to come to NRF now. Uh, no, just, uh, I'm allergic to the cold and had a little bit of work to do on my side. The auto industry is on a different cycle than, than the retail industry, sadly. Yeah, but they are, they are colliding. I feel like uh, auto commerce is going to be a big thing. Yeah. CES was almost all uh, automotive companies, which is kind of, I would have never did not have that on my bingo card. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to have to rename it AES or something. Yeah. Yeah. Auto electronic show. The other thing on your favorite platform, Twitter, I saw that you were all a flutter about was there was some new data that, that you were, were tableauing away at. Yeah. Yeah. As everyone knows, my pandemic hobby is crunching U.S. Department of Commerce retail data in Tableau. Um, and uh, kind of annoying that uh, NRF ended on Tuesday night. So uh, uh, try to uh, get up Wednesday morning and fly home. But I had to wait to leave my hotel room. Because at 8.30 in the morning Eastern time on Wednesday, the U.S. Department of Commerce published their monthly retail sales data. And th this month is particularly exciting to me because it's the December data. So that lets us do two things. Look at November and December together and kind of understand what happened in holiday. Um, and then it also obviously lets us look at January through December and start talking about uh, 2022 as a whole year, um, which lets me retire all my 2021 talking points. So, so that was exciting. Um, what, what did we learn? Yeah. So that's about a four hour show, but I'm going to recap the two <laughs> top lines in under 30 seconds. Uh, so we'll start with a uh, holiday. So if you add November and December sales, which I would argue the best view of holiday is November, December, January, 
but January date is not available. And a lot of people think of holiday as November and December. So if we just talk about November and December, and I'm going to take a narrow definition of retail for purposes of holiday, I'm going to pull cars out. Uh, I'm going to pull uh, restaurants out and I'm going to pull gas stations out because it's a super volatile thing. That's not very tied to holiday uh, behaviors. Um, so November and December sales were up 5.2% versus uh, last year. So from 2020, one, which was a monster year, we went up another 5.2%. Now, most people were disappointed when they saw that number for a couple of reasons. Last year, um, we were up 13.4% using the same definition of retail. So we're like, you know, a much slower rate of growth than last year. And most people, you know, are, are having to comp against last year and they set their, their financial goals based on last year. Um, and also, in the middle of holiday, like especially around Black Friday, a lot of third-party analysts publish a prediction. They say, we have secret inside data, we have credit card data, and um, we think uh, retail sales are going to be 9% or 12% or, you know, there were all these estimates that were optimistic. All the digital guys came out and said digital sales are up significantly from the previous year. And the NRF came out with these vague statements and said, like, more people are going to be shopping on Black Friday than ever before. So you heard all this good news around Black Friday, which made you think this was going to be a, a big holiday season. And then um, and so 5.2 sounds like a huge disappointment compared to some of that uh, over exuberism. But to put that in perspective, uh the the historical average growth is 4.4%. So 5.2% is meaningfully above the historical average. Um, and I don't want to say I told you so, but all of you that attended my webinars about holiday performance heard that that I was predicting in that five to five and a half percent uh even even back then. So so this is a rare occasion of me getting it right. Here's the piece of bad news about that whole thing. That 5.2% was all inflation. Um so if uh, if you adjust those two months for inflation, uh, we're actually down 1.8% from last year. So the big takeaway from holiday um, is it, it, it was disappointing. Uh, it was much more difficult to make a profit on this holiday than it has the last several profits. Um, so a lot of retailers came in a holiday with pretty robust inventory levels. They didn't sell through their inventory. What they sold, they didn't sell at particularly high uh, margins. Um, and so that's setting us up for a uneasy first half of 2023 because, uh, retailers have too much inventory and, uh, and ha not enough recent profits. So we're likely going to see a lot of discounting and, you know, more pressure on, on, uh, income as, as they kind of work through all that inventory. So that's the, the holiday Debbie Downer. Um, the full year is, I think, a better story. The full year we sold $7.1 trillion worth of stuff, which that's the, First time we passed the the seven trillion dollar mark, um, that's up eight point two percent from last year. Uh, again, last year was a monster year, um, the best year in my uh, my career of retail. So um, being up eight point two percent versus that, you know, again is a really good story. The bad news is you pull inflation out of that, and we were basically flat. We were uh, up zero point two percent. So through that lens, twenty twenty two was not a fabulous year. Um, but the one thing I would say is what's, what's really interesting is where is retail, uh, compared to before the pandemic and cumulatively, uh, retails up 31% from 2019. So, so the full year of 2022 is 31% higher than 2019. Um, an average year over the last 20 years in retail for a full year would be up 4.7%. So, 
up 31% is still almost twice what we would expect over a three-year CAGR. Um, so, you know, not a, uh, a knock it out of the park year, but still, you know, a uh, very healthy industry uh, uh, on the, the, the backside of this pandemic. So if we kind of you, you know, there's that famous chart you hate, and then we reverted to the mean. Does this mean we're kind of back on the mean? I don't hate it because it's wrong and I get to make fun of it. Oh, you, you <laughs> love to hate. How about that? Okay. <laughs> or you hate to love. I don't All know. Right. And uh, the, uh, so we reverted kind of back to the mean. Do you think that this kind of resets and we get back to that kind of traditional growth? Uh, I still think there's some uh, factors yet to play out. So I'm not sure we're going to get completely back to normal for 2023. Um, I think we're going to, we are still seeing some residual pandemic effects. And the main residual pandemic effect we're seeing is uh, spending is still skewing to uh, experiences more than goods. Um, so there was pent up demand for experiences. So we're, you know, we're, we're, where possible, we're seeing people invest more in experiences and less in goods. But we're also starting to see a lot more economic uncertainty, especially in the bottom two quartiles. Um, and so, you know, you're starting to see even kind of lower middle class people change their purchase behavior. You're, you know, you're hearing, uh, in Macy's earnings that they're seeing, um, their, their consumers start starting to make some, uh, you know, uh, economic trades in their purchase behaviors. And so a lot of that's going to be kind of cooked into this 2023. So I don't, I don't think we're quite back to kind of perfectly the mean, but I do think the, the ratio of store sales to e-commerce is likely to to look a lot more normal this year than it has the last couple of years. Very cool. And this is the one that doesn't really give us e-commerce data. We have yeah, to wait there's the some quarterly, loose e-commerce data in there, which is why I didn't months. quote it. But next month, yeah. uh, they will publish the Q4 e-commerce data. So that will give us uh, a full year of, of e-com data. Um, and so that that will be interesting. And the you know, the big number there, uh, I, I said all of retail is going to pass a trillion dollars. E-commerce will almost certainly pass uh, $1 trillion for the first time. So that's, uh, you know, we're starting to use these T numbers instead of B numbers in e-commerce. Got it. Cool. Well, we'll have to do a big show on that one, and you can just have a two hours of spewing data. Well, I can describe my charts. It's uh, There's no more fascinating podcast than listening to a dude drone on about a chart. Yeah, that you can't see. Yeah. All right. We'll uh we'll put a put a pin in that one and come back to it. <laughs> on the uh all right, so let's talk about predictions. So I had to go back and uh you know, one of our many interns researched this and it was back on episode two eighty four where we did our predictions and as is our custom, we like to rate and review the prior year's predictions and then lay down a stake for the next year. So if we go uh I guess you'll kick it off. So you'll go through my predictions and I'll say how I did and you'll kind of chime in and then we'll flip it. Awesome. And are we going to do all five of yours and then all five of mine? Is that the yeah. way to do it? Okay. Yeah. All right. So we'll start with your first prediction. Uh, Amazon's going to start getting serious about a Shopify competitor uh, and potentially double down on headless. Yeah, this was a miss as far as I know. Uh, you know, what I didn't see coming was Amazon has had a bit of a rough year in, in especially the back half of 22. You know, they've done some layoffs. They've uh, shuttered a lot of their physical stores. They stopped their plans for big grocery expansion. 
I'll get that, get that out on the record here early. And yeah, they've even started shedding warehouses. So I think, you know, what, what's happened is in this post, uh, there's been some really fascinating articles where turns out they had this automated inventory system and its name is Scott, ironically, with one T. And it, um, it, they trusted this thing so wholesalely that it just went kind of rogue and, uh, did not see the downturn, you know, this, the, the, the track attacking back to the mean. Um, and it, it kind of went bonkers. And so, uh, it's a little bit of an interesting case study of AI gone wrong. Uh, and that has them having their hands very busy with their core business and they have not had a chance to punch Shopify in the nose. And in some ways they may not have to because Shopify, uh, also had a lot of wind come out of its sales. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And I, I'm inclined to give you a no. <laughs> <laughs> that too. But if I were making an argument that you got it partially right, the argument would be uh, that they rolled out a really interesting feature called Buy with Prime. Um, and we, we talked about it on the show. We had a, a beta tester on the show that was super uh, bullish on it. And it's kind of a Trojan horse that creates some interesting problems for Shopify that, like, frankly, I'm still not sure Shopify's figured out what they're going to do about. But uh, that went from a pilot program to full deployment the week before NRF, and it was a major feature of Amazon's booth. And it's weird. They branded the booth AWS, but like the booth was talking more about buy with prime than it was AWS. And, and, you know, they're not, they're not in the same divisions within Amazon, but um, so you could argue buy with prime is partly a Shopify competitor. Um, but uh, in the interest of me staying competitive in the predictions, I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not giving it to you. Um, and I will say uh, all of your Amazon commentary is certainly true, but be a little careful. Uh, like, you know, people tend to look at some of that and go, oh man, Amazon's really flailing. Like they're really failing. You know, uh, it's a huge thing for them to cut back on their fulfillment capacity and, you know, cancel some leases. Um, and just remember, they bought more fulfillment capacity than anyone else in the world has in a single year, the year before. So it's, it's not like they're getting out of retail. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, you're spoiling one of my I find that people over, over read into the, you know, that accurate negative news, but they think it's, it's, it's a more material part of Amazon's business than it is. Yeah. I uh, integrated that into one of my future predictions. So stay tuned. It. All right. So, so we're going over one. I like it so far. I'm winning. Um, the, your second prediction is Amazon puts a hurting on GoPuff and others. GoPuff, uh, Gorilla, and uh, Joker um, don't get out of 2022. Yeah, I'm going to score this one a win. Uh, I don't. I think some of these out are business, and I think GoPuff's on its last legs. If it's did it do a down round and layoffs, and I, I don't. I certainly haven't even used it. I, I don't know if it's. I'm, I'm sure it's still around, but uh, I feel like it is on its last legs. And um, I'm increasingly here in North Carolina, like in Chicago, you've had this for a while. I'm increasingly getting offers that say, hey, if you if you throw a little bit more in the cart, you can get this thing overnight, which has been kind of, you know, I feel like Amazon is really starting to shorten that delivery window um, in this post-COVID world. Uh, yeah, so I'll give you a yes for that. Uh, I do think a lot of the instant delivery companies um, – like pulled out of markets or, or just flat went out of business or left the U S in uh, 2020. So I think that's fair. Um, I'm not sure GoPuff is publicly positioned themselves as quite as dire um, as you did. I, I 
could be wrong, but they, you know, uh, they're the biggest player left standing. Um, and, and I think they have some, some positive and negative indicators. Uh, the, the one thing I would quibble with is it's not clear to me if they all, if, if, uh, all this instant commerce not working is because Amazon put a hurt on them or whether it just wasn't a good business model that enough co- uh, customers were willing to pay for anyway. Right. Um, so I'm not sure if Amazon was the direct cause of all that pain or not, but, uh, I do secretly think Amazon has much better service levels than a lot of people realize, uh, you you live in a wonderful place, but it's like it's probably not a tier one market for Amazon. I talk to a lot of people in cities that the the vast majority of their orders are delivered same day, and certainly the vast majority of stuff I order from Amazon, I get that order in by noon, and it's in my doorstep before ten that night. Um, and so that that still is different than this instant delivery. But uh, I, you know, uh, I I think Amazon's. Uh, service level is, is darn impressive. And I think, you know, that, uh, certainly you didn't want to be an investor in instant delivery in 2022. So I'll, yeah. I'll give you a yes. Yes. Whew. Okay. So your third one, uh, is metaverse, lots of demo videos, no revenue. Yeah, I think I nailed this one. The, uh, Facebook has had a lot of pie in their face for spending, an inordinate billions and billions of dollars on the Oculus. The sales have dramatically underperformed even, you know, even moderate to light expectations. There's no real use case that's popped out of here. And then just generally, and then certainly if we look at our e-commerce world, there's really not much going on here. So this one's been kind of a dud. I'm a little bummed because I love AR and VR. I just don't think we've kind of come up with the use case. I think the wild card on this technology is there's increasingly detailed rumors of Apple having a device. Uh, and if anyone can figure this out, I think Apple can. But until they do, I think we're not going to see a lot of metaverse updates. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a category that to me, like if people are familiar with the Gardner hype cycle, it fits it perfectly. Like there, there definitely is a chance that there will be a version of the metaverse that's very meaningful at some point. But right now it's wildly overhyped. Um. One could quibble with your imprecise language, like you say no revenue. And of course, there are some some novel examples where there's a little bit of revenue. And the one that has meaningful revenue is uh, for for the kids is Roblox, um, where, you know, it's it's game revenue. Like it's it's, you know, in, in game credits. It's not like, you know, people are shopping uh, for for real world goods in the, in the environment. Um, so there's a few things. But I certainly think the spirit of your thing is exactly right, that it's it's wildly overhyped and not um, a, a financial uh, driver in the in the near future. And I would even argue nobody can even agree on a definition of what the metaverse is. A, it sounds singular, despite the fact that it's it's quite plural. Um, but you know, it, uh, a lot of people think the metaverse has to be on Web three, which means it's open. And Roblox is the example most people use of the metaverse, which is not on Web three. And you know. A lot, everybody thinks of the metaverse as, as VR and a lot of definitions of metaverse like do not require VR. So I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm uh, cynical in the short term uh, for sure. Uh, so I'll give you a yes. Okay. Uh, Four. Uh, live streaming goes mainstream in uh, 2022. Yeah. Uh, here I was to hoping hear. to kind of weasel out with the mainstream. <laughs> 
So I will point to some successes. So Whatnot is a very collectible-oriented marketplace that is all live stream. And I think their GMV is north of a billion. It may be closing in on two or three. So that's pretty mainstreamy. And then I've read uh, probably 20 articles in the last 10 days about TikTok e-commerce. And every time I dig into it, there's no data. It sounds like it's just new. So I was hoping to take credit for that in some way, but I don't think I can. So uh, I'm going to probably score myself a no on this one. Yeah. So tricky. Like I, I think there are some use cases where live streaming has become a thing and collectibles is certainly one. And it, it does, I guess, totally depend on what you meant by mainstream. Um, here's the thing. The most generous definition of social commerce, all social commerce in the U.S. last year was about 60 billion in uh, total sales. Um, and live streaming was likely less than 1% of that 60 billion. So like it's, it's social commerce isn't that big a piece of commerce and live streaming isn't a very uh, big piece of social commerce. So like through that lens, I feel like it's, it's not a big thing. And fun fact, none of the commerce on TikTok is live streaming. <laughs> like it's, uh, so people do, I think, confuse short form video with live streaming. Um, and so I, I tend to think live streaming is overhyped, uh, in the U S it does work in China, but what people don't understand is, uh, that live streaming in, uh, China is, um, flash deal sales. Like all of them come with a, a, a significant price offer. Um, and the reason that you, you want to watch that stream when it's live is because that offer has, scarcity attached to it and that offer is not going to be available two hours after the video plays so you have to watch it while it's being broadcast in order to get that deal um and you know uh none of the u.s uh, versions have really been that that deal oriented and without that deal why have live streaming when you could just record a short form video and you know let a hundred times more people watch it over the the subsequent two weeks or three weeks or whatever so so for all those reasons I feel like live streaming has been a little overhyped in the U S and I agree with you. Like probably didn't go mainstream this year. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. TikTok could be live stream. It's kind of like there is a stream. Well, yeah. But it's, <laughs> yeah. Are you watching it when the person talks? I mean, that's what it boils down to, or is it recorded on a server and you watched it? I don't TikTok days later. I don't yeah. want to get brainwashed. Yeah. yeah. Spoiler podcast. alert. It's not live. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. There is a live flavor on TikTok, but it's very, quite small. Yeah. I'm two for two, so I'm batting 50. Yep. So you're two no's, two yeses. And then your final prediction uh, is that Fabric, which is a, uh, an e-commerce platform slash marketplace, uh, um, and, and the, uh, the CEO, Fazel, has been on our show a couple of times, and you were predicting that they would uh, – uh, well, it says Fabric acquisition. So that could mean either that they made a big acquisition or they got acquired. Yeah, uh, it was being acquired. Yeah, that's what I assumed. That did not happen. Yes, and I, I met him at the show, and uh, I can confirm that he's still at Fabric. How are they doing? Uh, really well. Like, yeah. I think they feel like they're they're well-positioned and benefiting from some of these headless trends that we talked about, and uh, um, we we had a, a good chat. Uh, Fazzo is a longtime veteran of the industry and ran e-commerce at Staples and, and some other places, so he's always fun to talk to. 
Here's a head scratcher. So Fazil likes to be called Fazil, and then we have a guy at Spiffy that wants to be Fazal. So yes. <laughs> so and you know you know how it is. Like I know it's I cannot get it right because I I uh, always it's a fifty fifty coin toss, but it always lands the wrong way. So it's yes. I'm familiar thing. with those dilemmas. I also really struggle with fabric because his company is called Fabric, and then there's another company called Fabric that make micro fulfillment centers for grocery e-commerce. Wow. And I feel like you shouldn't have two companies with the same name in roughly the same space. I, I give him a you know, entrepreneur credit because he raised a boatload of money when valuations were super high, which was smart if it's enough to get through to the, from the, the, the peak through the valley to the next peak. So um, we'll see how that goes for him. I'm knocking on wood. Uh, you just can't hear it because I'm such a good audio editor. <laughs> okay. I came out two yeses and three. Three no's, so 40%. Okay, that's um, kind of your historical average, right? No, no, I, yeah. no I'm kidding. Usually, I think uh, you've do done better, better actually. Half. I yeah. think that's a down year for you. It was. I think it's an up year for me and a down year for you. <laughs> Post COVID, it's hard to predict what the, what's going on in the world. Think it things is. Are and and as we have learned doing five years of these, as hard as it is to predict something happens, it's also timing is so tricky. Like very often we predicted something. Just in the wrong year. Yeah. I gave up on Amazon competes with the, the other shippers and that one's still I still think it's coming. Hundred percent. There's a weird cognitive bias where like after you've been wrong once or twice, you hate to predict it again, even though it probably would be smart the subsequent yeah. year. Yeah. I'm with you. All right. All right well let's, let's see if I can hang you, with you at all. Yeah. Uh, so your first prediction was you love Web3, you're going to mortgage your house, put all your money in NFTs and this token that you were super excited about that was going to the mood called FTX. Um, how'd that work out for you? Uh, it worked out better for my co-investor, Tom Brady, than it did for me. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. He's in pretty rough, rough time right now. Neither of uh, us are so. having our best years. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, wild, wildly different reasons. Uh, <laughs> but I feel like you might have slightly misstated the spirit of my prediction. Oh, yeah. I misread this. So it says NFTs, Web3, Meta, 15-minute delivery will be duds. Uh, less NFT dollar transactions will happen in 21 versus 22. Yeah. So I was down. I didn't think any of those things would be a big deal this year. I guess one of those kind of overlap with you because you also didn't think instant delivery would be a big deal. Um and I don't think any of them were a big deal. We, we've covered them pretty exhaustedly. But in order to make this a fair prediction, I tried to put something that was more measurable. And so I said, NFT transactions will be down in 2022 from 2021. And I got to be honest, I, I looked it up uh, before this show. And so the good news is I'm right. Uh, NFT transactions, GMV for NFTs in, in the US in 2021 was 25 billion, 25.1 billion. And this year it was 24.7 billion. So just barely down. And I have to be honest, I feel like I dodged a bullet because the way you buy an NFT is with a cryptocurrency. And the two main cryptocurrencies are each less than half their value from the beginning of the year. And so you would think like NFT transactions should be way down just because the, the value of the underlying currencies is way down. Um, but, uh, you know, apparently, like, despite the fact that it's not a mainstream thing, it grew enough that I was I almost ended up being wrong on my on my number. But that's a long winded way of saying uh, uh, I feel like that's a yes. Got it. 
Cool. Uh, so we'll give you a yes. Uh, prediction two, here in North Carolina, we call it Sheen. You fancy city people call it Sheen. Uh, your prediction was that they would do over $30 billion, uh, more than double the previous year. So since we're a year off, so you predicted in 2022, they would double, I guess, from 2021's $15 billion. Exactly. And you track this closer than I do, so I'm going to have you self-regulate this one. Yes, uh, I nailed it. Um, like uh, almost to the penny, except that, you know, they're not a public company. So we don't, we don't really know the revenue. Um, but the estimates for, for 2021 were 15 billion. So I predicted 30 billion in 2022. Um, it, they did a raise in March or May of May of 2022. And they disclosed during that ra- raise that halfway, less than halfway through the year, they were already at 16 billion in revenue, um, year to date. So, so I was tracking really well. Um, and they're doing another raise right now as we speak. And they're side note, taking a ginormous haircut on that raise. So the, the, the May raise was at a hundred billion valuation. The raise they're trying to do right now is at 64 billion. Um, but, uh, they, they disclosed, uh, in the, in the deal docs for this raise, uh, that they finished the year at 30 billion, which is means that their sales significantly decelerated in the second half of the year. Uh, but it means my prediction was exactly right. Very good. Congrats on that one. Yeah. And uh, we could be out of time and not do the other other predictions if you want. <laughs> well, there's one controversial one. Let's jump into this one. All right. So your third prediction was buy now, pay later, which we, we call BNPL, is going to lose momentum. Uh, it had 29% growth in 21, and you said it would slow to sub 15 in 22. Yeah. And so it depends on exactly what math you're using, but the actual growth rate in 2022 was 48.6%. So is that is that more or less than 15? I find that hard to believe. I do too. Because, I was surprised. Yeah. Uh, no, I think I, I'm going to give you this one because, you know, the stocks on all these are down. Klarna is on life support. And I don't know. I feel like, you know, these guys, the, the largest kind of tie up was Peloton and buy now pay later. And, you know, Peloton has had a really rough go of it in, in 22 and took all, you know, down the biggest buy now pay later operator uh, with a firm. So I feel like this was a yes. Okay. Well, I, I'm not going to argue with you. I feel like they got a lot of negative momentum for a variety of reasons in, uh, in 2022. And right now we're, we're seeing, their valuations go way down because their default rates are starting to go up. And what I'm noticing is they're all trying to pivot out of buy now, pay later into other, other retail services. Um, but like, depending on how much of a stickler you, you might be like, they still apparently sold a lot of stuff on buy now, pay later last year, but I'll, I'll take the yes, or at least I'll take a half a yes. I'll give you the win, but I'll scold you for bad predicting. Like, never get specific with percentages. I know, I know. Well, I was—I I feel like so many people make these like lame predictions that I was trying to be super specific. But I agree that was that was dumb. Uh, all right, thanks, man. Uh, you great uh, all my stuff. Now this next one's kind of a whopper. So this is this is kind of my favorite. Uh, so you predicted Amazon would open a hundred grocery stores. How's that one going? Uh, it's great. They opened one store, and that store opened 365 times last year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but if you're doing store count, I missed it pretty substantially. Uh, the, I think they have 44 stores in the U.S. and 17 stores in the U.K., so well short of 100. 
Um, the, uh, and, and, uh, I'm way less optimistic, uh, that they're going to invest in that, that concept now than I was a year ago when I made this prediction. So that's definitely a no. Uh, the only fun fact is compared to any other retail concept in Amazon, uh, this one did pretty well because they, they literally closed every other one and they're, they're laying off a ton of the retail people like right now as we speak, unfortunately. So. Um, so I think that's a clear no. It does not seem like the the immediate future for Amazon is in brick and mortar. Yeah, yeah, they've they've really uh, pulled in the horns on that one. Yeah, fun fact. Then this means nothing. No one should interpret this. But Amazon closed their bookstores in 2022, and Barnes and Noble was opening new bookstores in 2022. So I think there was a time when we would have said that could never happen. Yeah, one of these is not going to be go well. Um, okay. Your last prediction was that last you would, there would be a last mile delivery acquisition of some kind. Uh, you mentioned Instacart, Vho, X delivery and Shipium. Yeah. And none of them were acquired. So I think I, I missed this. Uh, I mean, if you go deep cut enough, I found, uh, there's a couple like $4 million transactions that happen. Um, but none of the name ones did anything. Uh, they were, they, were, they did some fundraising. The, the premise behind this, this prediction last year was uh, that one of the ways that a lot of e-commerce sites deliver packages is not exclusively through FedEx, UPS, and the U.S. Post Office, that increasingly they're using a federation of a bunch of small last-mile companies, um, and that often there's a middleman that's helping aggregate all those small last-mile companies and make it easier to ship with them. And so my thought was that's becoming a more important uh part of the e-commerce ecosystem um, that somebody's going to try to uh, make a big play there and kind of roll some of them up or acquire some of them and, and uh, you know, kind of add them together and make something more valuable. Um, and it, it didn't happen last year. And what's interesting is FedEx rates and UPS rates are going way up this year. Like one of the conversations I had with a lot of e-commerce sites um, last year was that their last mile costs are going up at an untenable rate. So this this methodology is becoming more important and more popular. So this is a classic example. If I were smart, I should probably take this this uh, prediction and double down on again on it for this year. But a uh, spoiler alert: I did not do that. I just I took the no and I moved on. All right. So out of your five, you had sixty percent. So you had three correct and two wrong. So you uh, you win the year. So congratulations. You get the virtual trophy. You get an NFT. The, <laughs> Ironically, okay. you get the NFT, uh, the Jason Scott exclusive one of one NFT. I'm super excited about that for all our listeners. Um, I, I only accept NFTs that are minted on uh, proof of stake blockchains. I don't uh, accept proof of work blockchains because they're an ecological disaster. Uh, so it's Solana for you. Exactly. Uh, all right. Uh, I know we're up against time. These shows always go a little long, so I'm going to kind of lightning round my predictions for 2023. All right. Uh, so number one, uh, Amazon uses the this 2022 perceived setback um, that I think is way overblown. You kind of mentioned it at the top. Uh, and I, 
think what's going to happen is sure e-commerce is going to revert to the mean, but under the hood, I feel like they're going to be taking share at a really aggressive clip. Um, they're raising the bar on shipping. The selection of things that are near you is going up. Uh, I have, uh, through my day job, I can see that they are making a lot of good changes with last mile delivery. They're still putting a lot of effort into that and improving it and making it better all the time. So, so basically I think they're going to, you know, if I, if I have to get a little more specific, I think they're going to take a fair amount of share in 2023 from the rest of e-commerce. So they already are like more than half of e-commerce. And I think they grab a, a chunk. So that's kind of how I would measure this is what percentage of e-commerce Amazon has. And I think that they're going to take a pretty good chunk. I like it. Cool. That's my first one. Number two is I think Shopify is going to be acquired. You know, so I think they're doing this headless thing. The first party piece hurts them and a lot of, you know, Facebook. Um, so that's a natural binding together there. They're, uh, we're going to talk about it in a future show, but they're kind of, they have never really executed on this idea of a marketplace. Um, they've had a lot of weird cultural things where they talked about getting rid of meanings and then like their whole admin interface was down for days. It feels like something's going on. They've had a lot of people, a lot of turnover. They've gone totally virtual. I'm not a fan of that. I think it's hard to be super innovative and have to, whenever the world changes, have to hop on 80 zoom calls to figure out what everyone's thinking. Um, so, so I think, I think they're, they definitely, we've hit peak Shopify probably, uh, you know, in 2021 and this is when it starts to be time. Maybe some people say, Hey, this wouldn't be a bad time to, to tap out here. We'll see. Wow. That's an awesome one. Uh, just quick curiosity. One problem is the valuation, like while it's gone down a lot, it's still pretty high. Like, so the pool of acquirers is pretty small. Or are you thinking the valuation is going to keep going down well enough that there's, that more people might take a shot at it? Yeah, I think, I think even at this valuation, there's probably three or four acquirers. And I think the valuation could go down further. All right, cool. I like, I love the big, bold ones. Yeah, uh, you're going to hate this next one. So this one is where everyone thinks AI is hype. I'm thinking there's going to be a big innovation we don't see yet um, from these new AI engines. Uh, specifically, right now, the state of the art is GPT-3. I know people that have seen GPT-4, and they all uh, can't express enough how game-changing it's going to be. So I think there's going to be something in the e-commerce world. Not This is like – so it has to be kind of a big idea. Um so it can't be just like a chat bot or like another recommendation engine, but I think there's going to be something kind of big here. That's hard. It's so different that it could be hard to, I can't tell what it's going to be, but I think something big is going to happen here that kind of makes our heads explode. So that's my prediction that we actually see a really disruptive piece of technology come out of AI that impacts the e-commerce world. Okay. I like it. Uh, I, I, I don't have a, uh, other than it's going to be hard, so hard to measure, but I guess we'll know it when we see it. Yeah. Yeah. And then since we kind of grade each other, it gives you a lot of fodder yeah. to, to push against. <laughs> uh, e, uh, number four, e-commerce is going to accelerate back. So I think at, in the first half, we'll have these recessionary wins. I'm a eternal optimist. Uh, you're typically on the pessimist side. I think we'll have a soft landing. Maybe we don't even have much of a recession. And then in the back half, We'll be kind of through this post-COVID haze. Uh, hopefully, uh, I think part of this prediction infers that inflation will 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 kind of get under control, 
and we'll see e-commerce uh, go back to kind of its average growth rate, which has been historically 15%-ish. So uh, that's my prediction there. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I think there are a bunch of people that are like kind of e-commerce growth is tapped out, which is I think they're wildly wrong. So I certainly uh, uh, take the the bullish side of that one for you. Yeah, and then this one I have to give props to my daughter. I was uh, she was looking over my shoulder and I was doing these, and she said, "I have one." And I said, "You don't understand the stakes. I've got to beat Jason because I did bad this year." And she said, "I don't care. I'm 16, and I spend a lot of time at Sephora and Ulta." This is her speaking, not me. Yeah, I also do because I'm with her. But now she can drive, so I'm spending less time there. And um, I think they're going to come out with some kind of a subscription model. So there you go. I don't know any specifics, but that is her hot take. Okay. And, and by that, you don't mean they're going to transition their whole business to a subscription. You mean they're going to add some kind of subscription offering? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was thinking, you know, uh, what was that one? There was a box that was beauty's beauty box. Uh, I forget what the name of that thing. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I made it. (laughs) No. Yeah. And I said, you mean like that box? Is that what you're birch box? Wow. Very good, man. Yeah. Uh, old school way to pull that one out. Uh, and uh, she said, "No, it'll be more like I can go to the store and they'll I can I can pick up kind of like they'll pull stuff for me that comes in and I can just go to the store and it'll be already there for me." Which was okay. which so, was interesting. Clarifying question, because uh, far be it for me, like uh, I want to learn too. Like, and uh, your your daughters certainly have the the future behavior that neither of us understand yet. Um, is she thinking like that in the same way that Birchbox was kind of a discovery thing? She's thinking this is some kind of discovery thing of new products because I actually think Sephora already has a like, you know, if you use this amount of moisturizer, we'll automatically send you a, a, a new thing of moisturizer every three months. No, this was tied more to influencers. So I, so I think there's these influencers and uh, they each have kind of staked out, you know, their, you know, each store has a set of influencers. And I think she's starting to see them come out with seasonal products, kind of like a, yeah. And I think that it'll be a subscription to that kind of thing. That that makes total sense. That would be new, and I, uh, I that that could seem cool. Uh, a lot of the traditional subscriptions lately have not done as well as some of us might have expected. Um, but so yeah, this this will be interesting. Kind of like the the next gen of those discovery boxes. One thing I did notice in my last six, I think this is for a. They have a end cap that says inspired by TikTok. Yeah. And it's always empty. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I was asking my daughter, I was like, are, are they, she's like, oh, every time they put something there, it sells out. And I was like, wow. Yeah. That, it's pretty amazing. The TikTok made me buy it end cap. Yeah. It's like live stream commerce has become material. <laughs> I'm a, I'm hundred percent with you. Uh, social commerce is a thing and it's mostly not about people ordering stuff on TikTok. It's about, people discovering stuff on TikTok and then buying it from Sephora. I know. I was trying to get some partial credit. Yeah. Yeah. I like it though. All right. I think those are great. Uh, And then in the spirit of my third prediction, which was, uh, you know, AI will change the world. I actually asked chat GPT to make a prediction and it said, based on trends and current developments in e-commerce, it is likely that we will see continued growth and expansion in the industry with an emphasis on mobile commerce personalized shopping experiences, and increased use of technologies such as artificial intelligence and virtual reality. Additionally, 
there may be an increased focus on issues such as sustainability and social responsibility in e-commerce. And when it said that, I was thought I thought you were punking me. I thought you were on the other side of the chat because I was like, that's exactly what someone at Publicis would say. Yeah. Someone with a really long title, like eight words. That's the exact kind of synergistic, linguistic um, uh, word salad that they would they would throw out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's nothing super tangible in there, but it, it sounds really good. That's a classic uh, chat GBT answer. So one way my my one prediction could come true is if you're replaced by an AI. So I'll, I'll just I'm not that's not a prediction. It's just one way I could achieve my prediction. Yeah. So fun fact uh, uh, is some people know I have a Forbes column and my uh, my most recent Forbes article was about uh, the demise of e-commerce being overhyped. Um, and often I write those articles from scratch myself. Sometimes I write uh, an outline or a first draft and I send it to a publicist copywriter and they send me back a first draft and then I edit it. And um, when I do that, I have to do a lot of work because the copywriters are really talented writers and use proper English. And I'm really uh, less uh, sophisticated. So to put it in my in my voice, I have to change it a lot. So so this most recent Forbes article, I had ChatGBT write it. And I said, write a Forbes article in the voice of Jason Goldberg uh, that has this title and makes these five points. Um, and so it didn't really do any research for me. It didn't like pick any of the answers because I, I gave it all the answers in my prompt and the data I wanted to uh, support it. But in, it was kind of like I handed it my outline and had it write the first draft in my voice. And it was way closer to exactly what I wanted than the ones I get from the copywriter. Um, so I probably will never write a first draft from scratch again. Does that mean the copywriter is going to lose their job? Uh, no, she's going to move to higher value uh, uh, stuff from all the, the actual smart people that do sound good with proper English. I think she'll Unrelated, be- we're going to have a new new podcast. <laughs> exactly. Uh, uh, the Yeah, the, we're, we're way over on time, but like the, the really scary one is these awesome avatars that can make uh, – uh, can learn your voice and then sound per- perfectly like your voice are now out in the wild from several companies, including Adobe and Descript. And I conveniently have 300 hours of my own voice and your voice on record. <laughs> so I think I can make the two of us say anything we want. Yep. I, I think you can. Uh, awesome. All right. Well, uh, those all seem like good predictions. That uh, seems like you have a very viable chance of uh, coming back and getting your, your uh, NFT trophy back from me. Um, I will whip through mine. Uh, I suffered greatly because we are recording this late. I wrote my predictions at the beginning of the year, uh, and I said uh, Party City and Bed Bath and Beyond are going to declare bankruptcy. And unfortunately, Party City <laughs> declared bankruptcy yesterday. Um, and Bed Bath and Beyond hasn't declared yet, but they've announced publicly that they're they're likely to. Um, so I can't really use that prediction. But I'm going to say that there are going to be at least two other retail bankruptcies besides Party City in the in the space this year. Um, You know, I I think uh, Bed Bath & Beyond is likely to declare bankruptcy. But I also think we might see some of the kind of mall based apparel retailers or or, um, uh, there's a few other other uh, uh, retailers I have my eye on. So I do think we're going to see a little bit of uh, attrition in the kind of traditional brick and mortar retailers. Um, so I'm starting off with a positive note. <laughs> so if retailers go out of business, you win. Yes, that's, I'm, yes, right. I'm betting on it. Yes. Um, 
The second one, uh, I, I'm in a way doubling down on my buy now, pay later. I wasn't sure you were going to give me credit for last year. Um, so like if, if they were hurt and slowing down last year, I think, uh, at least one of them has to go away this year. Um, so like, I'm not sure anybody goes away via a, uh, uh, an actual bankruptcy, but I could see uh, a roll up or, or merger or acquisition of some of these guys. So I'm saying at least one of the top four Klarna, Affirm, Afterpay or Sezzle, um, uh, don't, don't exist as a standalone entity at the end of 2023. I think that's pretty pretty safe. All right. Uh, in full disclosure, I had a really unsafe prediction there that I changed to this. One. <laughs> um, <laughs> my my third prediction, uh, maybe opposite of you, you think uh, uh, Shopify is going to struggle. I, I I don't necessarily disagree with that. Uh, it's interesting to think they might have peaked last year, um, but a, a offering that they haven't made that they're crazy to not make, and I I'm pretty I'll be shocked if I don't see this year um, is. Uh, that we see some kind of aggregated retail media network from Shopify. So you're one of the million uh, stores on Shopify. You can opt in to showing ads on your store uh, and advertisers, instead of having to buy ads from individual uh, uh, stores that would all be too small and scale to be meaningful, can buy ads from a, a, a aggregated Shopify interface that then uh, get get distributed to all those sites, like uh, very similar to like Google AdWords, uh, um, but in the Shopify ecosystem and every other retailer is kind of monetizing their traffic. Uh, we've, we've seen some other products now where Shopify is aggregating stores. So there's that shop app. There's now an aggregated search in that. So I just, I think it's a no brainer uh, that uh, Shopify to try to defend themselves from from uh, Amazon that's making a fortune on retail media networks is going to try to launch a, an ad product in 2023. Yeah. We have a guest coming up a uh, little bit of a tease, what we call in the podcast biz, a tease. We have a really interesting guest that's going to talk about an RMN. I love it. Well, conveniently um, I feel like they come up uh, somewhat in my next prediction as well. Uh, which I, I think in, in aggregate, uh, Meta, Google, and TikTok lose advertising revenue in uh, 2023. Um, so we've talked a lot about the, the negative uh, um, mobile privacy uh, impacts on Meta and Google. Uh, TikTok has actually been the most robust, fastest growing uh, platform uh, of, the, of the traditional social media networks in 2022. Uh, but I actually think they are going to run into more and more um, concerns about the Chinese ownership and these like partial bans and all that sort of noise. And there's a lot of new opportunities for advertisers to spend their money. So I think these retail media networks are starting to take real dollars. Microsoft launched a retail media network um, at, at uh, uh, NRF last week. Um, and there are new social media networks that uh, you may be familiar with through your kids, but that most adults working in our industry have never heard of that are now getting quite large and out uh, and growing more rapidly than the TikToks of the world. And that's things like be real. So um, I think uh, by the time it all nets out, I think the, the big three meta Google and TikTok have uh, less, less share of the ad uh, digital ad space next year than they did this year. Cool. Are you big on be real? Uh, I am not because it wouldn't be real for a over uh, aged uh, dude to be on be real. Okay, good. So you are 
ironically. Yeah, it would be kind of creepy. By not being on beach. Exactly. The way for me to be real is to stay far away from it. Uh, but I, I like to watch uh, age-appropriate people that are using it. Um, and then my fifth prediction, uh, <laughs> uh, if there's a little salt in the Scott was wrong about live streaming, <laughs> is that live streaming <laughs> commerce still won't be meaningful in 2023. <laughs> uh, so, and I'll make it like, Slightly more measurable, going back to my that's stupid way to predict in the future uh, comment from earlier. Um, so live streaming still isn't going to be 5% of social commerce revenue next year. And for all the reasons I already talked about, like it's a niche. Um, it, 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 there's a great use case, which is one-to-one commerce, is salespeople helping people in their home. That's live streaming. Um, I think there's collectibles and flash sales and, you know, some of QVC is live streaming, stuff like that, but there's not going to be enough to to really move the needle. And I, I think marketers would be a lot smarter to be investing in in social discovery and the influencers that your daughter's talking about at Sephora than they would be to make a live streaming product in 2023. Um, and I did not have chat GBT make any of my predictions. So I thought just for fun, like if I were Scott Galloway, what would my my big shocking prediction be. And uh, um, I thought, because uh, he likes to do contrarian things. Um, and so my, my uh, uh, faux bonus prescription uh, sub, uh, prediction is that Jeff Bezos comes back uh, to take over Amazon this year. Yeah, that's uh, he's really dropped off the radar. I may not be tracking it, but I haven't really heard from him. I've been, I've been last tracking his midlife crisis and I feel like it's almost over. I feel like uh, the stock would get a big bonus if he came back. He handed the reins to Andy Jassy on a specific day in May, which was the anniversary of when Amazon was founded. Um, And so I think it wouldn't be surprising to see him maybe not like uh, shove Andy Jassy out, but maybe he comes back as uh, CEO and Andy keeps the president title or something like that. Um, Or This is what Bob Iger did at Disney. He kind of gave the reins to this dude left and then did nothing but talk bad about him. And then the first sign of weakness came in and kicked him to the curb. Yeah. So that, that, you know, it's good for the ego. It could be part of this midlife crisis. No, I I do think that was inspired by Disney. I will say, uh, Jeff and Andy seem way less acrimonious and more collaborative. So I I don't, I don't think it would have that same, uh, uh, I picked you as my successor and now I'm going to stab you in the back and take my job back from you kind of vibe. Um, but I did see an interview with Andy Jassy shortly after that Disney thing. And the interviewer joked, he said, you seem like you're a lot safer than, than uh, Bob Iger. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so my prediction is maybe not quite as safe as he thinks. Um, Interesting. But uh, we, we have certainly uh, lived up to our reputation as being long-winded. Uh, uh, we're, we're a little bit over time, uh, but this is a super fun episode. We'll put all the predictions in the notes so you can, you can see them if you don't want to listen to the whole thing. And I'll put a note up front uh, that if folks want to jump, uh, skip our first 30 minutes of updates and banner and get right to the predictions, that you, you can do that as well. Um, so uh, I want to thank everyone again for putting the time in and all the uh, the great comments and feedback we got at the show. Um, but you know, if you could do us one extra favor and write some of those great comments and feedback you gave to me live in a iTunes review, uh, we would certainly appreciate it. Yeah, and thanks everybody. We appreciate you staying tuned for our predictions. Would love to hear your predictions. Tweet them to us, LinkedIn, Facebook. Uh, or for Jason, you can be real at him, um, and he'll watch someone else read that. And until next time, happy commercing. 
You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com. 